Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Uh, When you serve as a clergy person, you get lots of other duties as assigned. And one of those uh, other duties that I have often been assigned is to work with people who think they want to become a deacon or a priest one day. And so I have the pleasure of reading their uh, papers that they write. And uh, then I get to sit down with them and say, so you really think you want to like do this with your life, huh? Um, Why? (laughs) And, uh, and, and it's a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoy it. And one of the, I've done it enough now that I've developed some some stock questions that I ask of people. And one of them is I ask them to tell me about their theology of partying. It's one of the early questions. Now, um, they assume when they sit down with me, for whatever reason, I'm going to be the one to say, "Can you please tell me how you would, uh, you know, suss out the difference between Basil's use of prosopon from, you know, maybe Cyril's use of, um, you know, hypostases or something?" Um, you know, they would assume that I would come at them with something like that, but I don't. I, I want to know about their theology of partying, and the reason for that is it's a crucial Christological doctrine, because when you look at the stories of Jesus Christ, so many of the scenes are in parties. He is constantly throwing parties, crashing parties. Often when he talks about, you can use the old language of kingdom of God or the reign of God or God's dream for the world, most of his images about the coming reign of God are party adjacent. They're feasts, they're weddings, they're banquets. He's always talking about parties. He even gives instructions about who you ought to invite to a party how central to partying or how central to Jesus Christ partying actually is. And so uh, the reason I'm talking about that now is because uh, oftentimes if you grow up in church, sometimes you and you and I get taught 
stories about Jesus and things that Jesus says, like the story of the prodigal son that was read for you today by Jason, we get taught that at church or at Sunday school class. Uh, That was told at a rager. Jesus is at a house party, and he has been for at least two chapters. And what happens is he gets cornered at this house party by religious leaders. And they come up to him and they say, Jesus, do you recognize, like maybe, maybe you don't understand. Do you understand who you're being seen with? Like right now, at this kind of party, at this kind of table, with these kind of people. Do you understand that that's not really a good look? You know, you're getting a lot of support right now, and a lot of people are really starting to think that you may uh, be onto something. Uh, do you recognize that you are being seen with these people who are notorious for their unholy living? This is not a good look for you. And Jesus goes on, uh, you know, I guess barking over the loud music. Uh, he says three stories. Story one is a story about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go find one. Story two is about a woman who destroys her house to find the one lost coin out of the 10 that she had. And then he tells them this final story about a father and his two sons. Now, this story has been called the prodigal son. Prodigal is a word that you probably don't use too often in everyday um, vocabulary, but it just means extravagantly wasteful. And so this story has often been you know, kind of coded for us as a story about how this this child uh, went and was extravagantly uh, wasteful. Uh, even though Jesus never really uses the word prodigal himself in telling this story, the language that Jesus uses is that this is a story about death and this is a story about resurrection. I wonder who you are in this story. I wonder if you are the younger child. The younger child at the beginning of the story, walks up to the father and says, I would like my inheritance now. I mean, just think through the implications of that, right? I'd rather have your money than be with you. What does it take to get an inheritance usually? The person has to die, right? So the younger son walks up to the father and says, you know, it would really be better for me if you went ahead and dropped dead today. That way I could get my share of the inheritance. I mean, it's a heck of an opening. Now, I don't know how you would have reacted had you been that parent, but the wild thing in Jesus's story is that this father says, okay. And it says that the father divided the inheritance between both children. It wasn't like he just said to the younger son, okay, well, here's your half. He fully divested and gave all of his inheritance, divvied it up and gave half to the younger child that asked for it and gave half to the other child, the older one. The younger child says, great, this is exactly what I wanted and pieces out and goes into a far off country. When he gets to the far off country, he wastes all of his money. It's like gone. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of being so excited to finally get the thing that you really thought you wanted, and then in a blink of an eye, 
it all just runs through your fingers like sand. And you think to yourself, oh gosh, what now? So this child thinks to himself, well, I'm in a pretty bad spot. I'm now eating literally with pigs. And in a Jewish story, that's about as bad as it can get. So he thinks to himself, okay, I think I only have one play left. Maybe I can go back home and try to grovel. And so he starts working on his speech. Who's ever worked up that version of that speech before, right? Daddy, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, I come to you hat in hand. Uh, I mean, you, you know, he's, he's like working on iterations of it back and forth and like testing it out on people along the way. And he's like kind of really got it finally figured out. And as soon as he crests over the hill, you discover that the entire time the father has been waiting for the son's return. And as soon as the father sees the son, the father does something that uh, older people in ancient Near Eastern cultures do not do because it is um, beneath them, frankly. He hikes up his, you know, whatever I'm wearing, and runs. And he runs right to the child. When he runs to him, he doesn't dress him down. He doesn't start pointing fingers. He doesn't say, I told you so. Instead, he just embraces him. And the son tries to get his speech out, and the father shuts him up. He says, I don't need to hear that. I don't want that. You be quiet. There is no need for your speech. You have always been a part of this family, and you will always be a part of this family. We're just glad you're back. And he throws a robe on him, puts a ring on him, and says to the staff, get a fattened calf. We have got to party. And it's as if Jesus Christ is telling this story to say, you know, the reason I hang out with people like this is because they know people like you don't care for them. Religious leaders, they know that you never sent out the search party for the one lost sheep. They know you never destroyed your house trying to go find them. They know that you never ran and embraced them and made sure that they knew that they had a place in God's holy family. So that's why I sit with them. That's why I eat with them. That's why I party with them so that they know how deeply loved they have always been by God. And it's a tall order because they know how they've never really been loved by you. That's why I do this. You think the story would end there, but Jesus keeps going. Maybe you are like the older child. The older child receives their inheritance at the beginning of the story and doesn't go off into a far country but stays home and has every T crossed, every I dotted, a place for everything and a thing in its place. Every rule has been carefully met. Never rocks the boat. Never gets a wild streak. Just down the middle. Even, steady, 
reliable, conserving the rules and the morals at all costs, a very carefully curated life, always trying to prove to God (laughs) that you are a person who does the right thing. And when the younger son comes back, it says that the older son does not join in on the party. In fact, it says that the older son becomes furious. I wonder if you've ever felt furious. The thing about this story is that the older son is not so furious that the younger son is back. He's furious that the father has just welcomed him. He is upset that the father has lavishly welcomed this son back into the family. He's furious that his brother wasted their daddy's resources. And now dad is just slaughtering the best calf they have. Here's the thing about the father. The father says, I handed over my inheritance to both of you at the beginning. You come to me with fury because you're upset that I didn't slaughter a calf for you. I gave you everything. In fact, in the exact words of the text, the father says, everything I have is yours. You could have had a calf anytime you wanted. Don't come to me with fury. Don't be so smug. Yeah, he asked for it and ran off with it, but you took it too. I made you head of the household. You could have thrown a party every weekend. The father in this story treats both children the same way. The father always runs to the child who is most lost. The father runs towards the one who has offended the family's name and wasted all the resources, runs and embraces him. But the story ends with the father leaving the house party with the fattened calf and goes out into the open field because the older brother is standing out there throwing a temper tantrum and a big pity party. And the older brother refuses to come inside. And so the father doesn't stand inside and look out the window and say, well, look at that guy. No, the father does what the father always does, which is leave the party goes out and it says that the father begins to beg I mean how often do we think that prayer is us begging God for something Jesus tells a different story of God going out and begging this person whose whole carefully manicured life is keeping them from embracing the radical love feast that is going on says he begins to beg with him to come inside. This is why many preachers have pointed out that if anyone in this story deserves the title prodigal, it must be the father who is so prodigally lavish and extravagant with love and mercy and welcome and embrace. I told you this was a story about death and resurrection. Here's how. The father by divvying up the inheritance at the beginning of the story, drops dead. 
The younger son says, I'm as good as dead. And when he comes back, the father says, this son of yours of mine was dead and has come to life. And so really the only one who refuses to die spiritually or metaphorically in this story is the older brother. All the religious leaders that have cornered Jesus. This is a story really told for them. Jesus says, yeah, I've come to hang out with these people because they know they don't care about you, but they need to know that God loves them. But you actually have a whole lot of issues that you have not yet worked through. You are the older brother. The older brother refuses to party. He's clutching to hold his life together. Who really wasted their life? He refuses to let his life of perfect obedience and performance and hustle die. Everyone else is inside. The father's died, the son has died, and we're all having a resurrection party. The only one who refuses to let go of the life that they've built for themselves is out here in a field alone. And so I don't know why you're here today. If you are the younger child, all I can tell you is that today is the day that the living God will run to you, embrace you, and make clear to you that even if you've never felt it, you have always and forever been a member of God's holy family. And the only thing God wants out of you is to be with you. You've always been a member of God's family, even if you're just learning it for the very first time. And God, and by God, this church will always throw a party to rejoice that you have made your way home. Period. And what do you think we, what do you think we mean when we say we want to be a church for people without a church? This is it. This is why we exist, to be a church for people without a church, to be at least one church where someone can know or at least dare to believe that maybe even they have always had a space in God's family. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church you keep showing me can exist. And I think that's the kind of church that Jesus Christ is interested in working in. But if you are the older child, And today is the day that you can lose the grip on your carefully hustled, superlatively curated, immaculately held together life and learn that for all of the performing that you always must do at 100% of the time, there is not one moment in this life that you have ever had to perform in order to matter to God. You are God's beloved child, and you really do great things. And I'm not making light of it. Like, it's amazing what you do, but you don't have to do that to be loved by God. You just are loved by God. And God does not need your performance. You have always been a member of God's holy family, and the living God is waiting for you to let this manicured, performative life go so that you can come inside with the rest of the people who have learned that with this God, there is always a resurrection party after death.
can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.